Good morning, Storehouse. Today I'll be reading from Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect, who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. Will he find faith on earth? The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. As you heard our, our sister there read Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, that's where we'll find our time today. And if you haven't found your place there, you uh, could have a couple of minutes to kind of scroll there or open your Bibles there, but I would like to just remind everybody of two things. Um, if this is your first time here at Storehouse, welcome. It's an honor to have you, an honor uh, to be able to serve you in this way. Uh, if you see somewhere there uh, on your chairs, you have connect cards that kind of look e like elongated index cards. You could go ahead and, and fill one of those out and drop them off over there and the connect desk and somebody will get back to you shortly and will we'll take you out to, to lunch or maybe dinner. Secondly, if you do not have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one because we have a strong conviction of God's word and, and uh, hold fast to it. So you could also find ESV paperback blue Bibles there on the seat. And if you know somebody that could benefit from that, please, by all means, take uh, them one. So hopefully by now you found your way to Luke chapter 18. And uh, really, uh, as the year has been going, uh, one of the things that everybody's talking about football, everybody's happy football's back, and that's kind of um, where I've been these last couple of three weeks, uh, early mornings, uh, late evenings, and it's just a lot. One of the things, though, that, that I came to really enjoy about being exposed to kind of the, the, the high school coaches and is uh, one of the things that I actually picked up this past week was that you know, a lot of the times when we're kind of scheming and planning for the season, uh, or even when we go through plays, it's not a secret. And that's one, of the, what's, that's one of the things that one of the coaches told me. He's like, whenever you're going through plays, just remember, it's not a secret. Because even if they know what's coming, they still have to stop it. And that's kind of the route that I'm taking today in the persistent prayer. Everybody knows what the persistent prayer is all about, the, 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 the parable of the persistent prayer, right? That we should pray persistently. But if you often at times we get too caught up in the pray persistently part and we don't really ask a more important question as to why we should pray persistently. And so as we go through the parable, that's the question that we're going to ask. Of course, we're going to touch upon this topic of persistent prayer, but most importantly, we're going to ask why we should persistently pray. And we'll see that it'll, it'll point us back to the character of God because not only does the character of God tell us or teach us how God is, but it 
teaches us what his view on us is as well. And so our main idea for the time is as follows. Our motivation for a persistent prayer life should be rooted in God's loving and assuring character. We know that we should persistently pray. But why? And that, that is the why. Because our persistent prayer life should be rooted in God's loving and assuring character. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll jump into this. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this week. Uh, it's been long, tedious. It's, it's, it's been tough. Uh, getting to Sunday feels like we're all drained out, Lord, but we pray that in the midst of that exhaustion, you give us the strength to stay focused and, and to really love you and love your word more when it counts. So as we pray, Lord, we, we pray that you that you would open our minds, open our hearts to be receptive to the word, that your word would penetrate our mind and soul so that we're able to see the reality of your character as we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the way that we're going to go ahead and go about this is that as we go through the parable, we'll find real quick that really the parable is about three individuals, and so we're actually going to cover those three characters. And I, and I want to use that term character very loosely because, again, as we've gone through the parables, one of the things that we say over and over and over again is that this, these parables that Jesus teaches are real stories. They're not fictional. They're real stories with the heavenly meaning, a heavenly intent. And so when I say characters, I just simply mean the individuals in the parables as Jesus is teaching. But before we do that, it's always important to contextualize the passage. See where we're at. See what's going on. Because not only setting the scene, right? That's what people in the plays do. They set the scene. They give the descriptions of what's going on around them. Not only will it set the scene, give us the audience Jesus is talking to, but most importantly, we'll also see Jesus' intent behind this parable. And so we start in verse 1. This is what the Lord says. And he told them a parable, just like the one that we've been reading these last couple of weeks already. And he is referring to Jesus. He is referring to Jesus, and he's talking to them, his disciples. And so this is important to know because sometimes Jesus talks to the Pharisees and tells them things that apply to the Pharisees. But other times he's talking to his disciples and the things that apply to the disciples. This in particular is one of those things that applies to the disciples, followers, believers, those who have been following him. And we know this primarily because if we go back to Luke 17... There's like a short portion, verses 20 to 37, and in that we find that he's talking to his disciples about his second coming. And so it's almost as if he puts a pause on that conversation, and then he picks up in, in uh, chapter 18 and these couple of verses. So really, it's the same conversation, except a different topic. right? We, in the valley, we know what that is. Like We start with one thing, and then we end up with a totally different thing. Right, as, we, as we start adding more, that's what Jesus is doing. He is 
putting a pause on that conversation of a second coming, and now he's going to talk about prayer. And we see that. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So here we plainly see the intent of this parable to pray and pray persistently. That's what to not lose heart is, to keep it going. So now that we kind of set the scene, we know who he's talking to, we know where Jesus is going, Jesus will start to unpack this beautifully. And again, yes, we know that this is about the persistent prayer part. But as we go along, we're going to see the character of our God in this. And so I know I was talking about those three characters where we're going to see one now in the second verse already. And the first character that we stumble upon in this parable is the judge. That is kind of our point, the judge. This is what the Bible says, verse 2. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. These are kind of the two characteristics. Let's tackle the first one, that he doesn't fear God. Now, we've talked extensively about this at our church, which is good. And so we, 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 we have to remind ourselves or remember that the fear of God is, is twofold. There's two things. It's, it's yes, it's... it's it's all the, the respect to God and the love for God. Yes, that's part of it. But one of those components is the literal fear of God. Looking at the universe, at the stars, at the planets, and seeing everything that he's created, that he's able to sustain, the rotation of the earth, sustaining you and every single blood vessel and bone in your body, that should cause a literal fear of God in you. And an omnipotent being that reigns in the universe. That is one component of fearing God. The other component is really a deep respect for God, a deep reverence for God, knowing that He hates sin and leaving that sin to follow Him, to serve Him, to love Him. It's twofold. It's not either or, but both and. It's the literal fear of God and also the reverence. That's what the fear of God is. And we come to find out that this man has neither of those. He does not fear God for being God. And he doesn't respect him. Secondly, we find that he, he doesn't respect man. Who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, there's really not a deeper interpretation to this. This, this is plain as, as anybody could read it. Basically, what that means is that he could care less for people. He could care less for the children. He could care less about the elderly. He could care less about the oppressed. He could care less about those who need help. He just doesn't care about people. And I'm 100% sure that if he feels this way about people, he certainly doesn't care what people think of him. Now, the simplest way that I could ca characterize this judge is that he is the definition of the historic Grinch. Isolated, not caring about anybody, caring about himself, and we'll see this later on, but this is the historic Grinch. This is Scrooge. And just like that, he has broken the two rules that God demands of his judges. One, that he upholds God's law, his own law. And two, that he looks after people and he's not even doing that. 
So this is an unfit, unrighteous, unqualified judge. Let's keep him in mind. We'll table this guy for a second. Because Jesus makes another advance in verse 3. So we have the judge. We know what he's about. We know what he thinks. The second character that we stumble upon is the widow. That's our second point. And he says, and there was a widow in that city. Now, in that same city that the unrighteous judge reigns and rules and, and governs, we have this widow. And this is where Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time because he's very particular with his words. He doesn't just say woman. He could have. But more specifically, he says widow. And that tells us at least one thing about this widow that everybody knows. And that is that widow is impotent. The widow is impotent. Or another word to, to think about is helpless, powerless. She is impotent. Now, why is she impotent? Well, in ancient times, the courts really belonged to the men. That's where the men would gather and, and, and settle disputes. And if for some reason, a woman needed to go to court, she was to be represented by the man of the family on her behalf. That's just the way it worked. That's what the Old Testament says. So whether it was her son, then from there it was uh, the, um, the husband, the son, and the son wasn't there, the nephew, a man had to represent him, but yet we see here this widow who has no husband, no man to plead her case, nobody to help her out. And how do we know this? Well, verse 3 continues, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, talking about the judge, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. How do we know that this widow is helpless? impotent well if she had a man to represent her case the man would show up she would but she didn't she went and represented herself before the judge and that is our second point really secondly is that this widow is bold bold She's bold for two reasons that you can plainly see here. One is that she's going with that representation. Think of how awkward that would have been for a woman to go and know that she's at a place that she's not supposed to be without proper representation. That's just awkward. It's awkward. You know, have you, have you, have you ever felt a time where you went somewhere and kind of felt like you're not wanted there? Yeah. That's how awkward it was for her. But yet... She's here pleading her own case. It says, give me justice against my adversary. So it makes you wonder what they did to this widow since she's seeking justice so earnestly against someone. And she was wrong, definitely. Give me justice. She was wrong. And though we do not know what that was, all we know is that it must have been pretty bad for her to seek justice on herself out of that desperation that she had in her. It definitely weighed a lot upon her that she felt the need to go to herself even if she did not have proper representation. This must have been bad. But also she's bold because she's going to that particular judge. Now, we just finished seeing how much this, ju this judge here cares about people, right? The modern-day Grinch. 
how much he cares for God's laws and, and how much he cares about you know, the helpless, the needy, the poor. And based off everything that was said, I'm sure that this judge had a bad reputation. He must have had a bad reputation. There is no way this judge could, could be a judge and not have a reputation. Leaders, that's what leaders have. They have reputations. And I'm sure that the whole city knew about it. But most importantly, she, this widow, knew about that reputation. And yet she approached this judge who could care less for her to get justice. She approached this judge who could care less for her. And again, this is very applicable to our lives, right? I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to ask for help. Why? Why should I ask for help? That, that person's mean. And certainly I'm not going to ask this person for help. But again, it's a desperation. She was bold. She went in and out of her way to get justice that she wanted because somebody did her wrong. But we at least know one more thing. Yes, we know as reading this that this widow is impotent. Yes, we know that this widow is bold. But obviously the characteristic that everybody points out automatically is really that she's just persistent also. She's a persistent widow. And so given everything that we see as it relates to this widow, the fact that she had no man to plead her case, the fact that she seeks justice herself, the fact that she approaches this uncaring and unloving judge, we only come to find that she repeatedly comes to him and asks him for justice time and time and time and again. And we see this three times. Verse 3, what does it say? A widow in that city who kept coming to him. We see this in verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, that's an indication of persistence, I will give her justice so that she would not beat me down by her continual coming. She was persistent with it day in and day out. And let's be real, a lot of us wouldn't even go to the DMV twice a week. We wouldn't. So we kind of try to avoid everything that has to do with the DMV because the people that work there are kind of like this judge, right? But nevertheless, this widow was there pleading her own case, and not just to a judge who ignored her, but a judge who kept saying no. Verse 4 says, For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. Right here, this verse right here, what you know, English is called a soliloquy when characters are thinking out loud. This right here is a very good indication of his heart. He is the self-professed wretch. He does not mind being that. It's almost like he's bragging about it. Though, though I neither fear God nor, nor respect man. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She really only gets justice by annoying the judge with her persistence. Now, I, I, I'm a big fan of the NASB. Marco gives me a lot of stuff for that, right? He, he loves the ESV, and I understand that, right? But I'm a big NASB guy. But here, once in a while, there's, there's a good translation, and that is the New Living Translation. And let's go ahead and, 
and see what the New Living Translation says about verse 5, or how it puts verse 5. This is what the New Living Translation says. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her continual or con her constant request. The little translation, if we were translated to the original language in verse five, that part where she says she will not, she she will, um, so that I, you know I'll give her justice, so she won't beat me down by her continual coming. If we translate that into the original justice, really, I'm just going to give her justice, so she she doesn't beat me silly. She's blackening my eye. And so because of that, I'm just going to go ahead and give her justice. But you kind of see the persistence in that. It's funny, yeah, but this is real for this widow. Just as, it is, as problems are real to all of you and to I. And so, like I said, coming back to what I've been saying, we've all this, read this parable before. We know what it means. You know, we should all oh, be like this widow and persistently pray and go to God as this widow went before this judge. And that is understandable. That's easy to understand. That's easy to grasp. But the question that I feel we should be asking is why? For those of you that are teachers, there's not one time where a student doesn't ask you why. I need you to do this. Right? I need, you to, I need you to do this and you go, oh yeah, but why? Because they want to know. They want to know. And Jesus goes out of his way to clarify that as to why. Why should we come before God as this widow does to the judge? Why should we do that? What is our motivation behind going after this judge and going before God? And Jesus already told his intent for this parable, and his, tent, his intent was served. We go back to verse 1, and what do we find? And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Yes, that's understandable. We got that. But now, again, mentioning Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, will go on and unpack as to why we should be motivated to persistently pray. Why? Why should we persistently pray to God? And just like that in verse 6, and as you could tell, Jesus is going at a pace because this is where everything just comes all together. Verse 6, this is what it says. And the Lord said, this is Jesus, that's our, our, our last point, the Lord. We saw the judge, we saw the widow, now we're here seeing the Lord. And this is what the Lord says. Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, he's referring to I'm going to give her justice just so she could be quiet part. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? One of the things that we need to know that we often forget as we pray, as it pertains to our prayer life, is that our Father loves us. Now, when, when we read here, right, it says Jesus is talking, but then he mentions God. What's up with that? God, he is referring to God the Father. Lord is referring to God the Son, Jesus, as he's been doing. And so we have to park on this because the word is there, his elect. Will not God give justice to his 
elect. Now, we, we could spend months on this. We really could. It's a very deep doctrinal theological statement and word. But really, I want you to know that this word just means chosen. His chosen. And will not God give justice to his chosen? That's all he's saying. And so to kind of give us a flyover and not settle too long to this, because although it's one of the points, it's not, the, it's not, it's not everything, we could look at 2 Thessalonians 2.13 to give us a great, great definition of what election means. That's what it says. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, talking to believers, followers, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. First fruits really means from the beginning. God chose you from the beginning. Before there was even an earth, before you were even uh, a thought on your parents' head, the Lord had already chosen you for the beginning. This is how we know that the Lord loves us and that he chose you from the beginning. He's saying, I love you and this is in the way in which I love you. I chose you. And of course, we grew up, we were born, you know, we, uh, we were sinners running away from God. But then we came to the point of coming to Jesus and loving him. But through all that, Jesus chose you from the foundation of the world to follow him. That is a proof that our God loves us and will not God give justice to his chosen who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? And so, yes, our Father loves us, but let's, let's put it one more step. The Son loves us. Jesus, He loves us. In what way does Jesus love us? And that He was sent to the cross to die for our sins. That is the way in which Jesus loves you and I. And in Jesus, we have this cancellation of debt. Cancellation of sin. But not only that, he right now stands as a mediator between us and God the Father. Because see, we are sinful. Plain and simple. Every human being is sinful and it comes from the fallen nature. That, that is who we are. We are fallen, yet when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, not only is our sin canceled, not only is every sin, past, present, and future sin, already paid for and paid for him on his behalf, but we gain a mediator, a lawyer, an advocate that stands before us, before God, so that we have this access to God the Father, because if Jesus is not there, we have no access. We don't. God is too holy for us to come and approach him. Yet in Jesus, we find a person who not only satisfied God's wrath, but also a person who is a perfect mediator for us. So you ask, oh, how does God love me? This is the way in which he loves you. He elects you. He has died for you. He sits as a mediator. 
And so, really, from here, we, we, as we pray, right, because this relates to prayer. As we pray, and I just want to preface this by saying every prayer is valid. Every conflict that you go through is valid. My, I am not attacking the purpose of your prayer, but I am critiquing the hearts of how we say these prayers. Our minds in which we go about as we think about prayer. Because see, two things happen that I've seen often. One is that we base God's love for us on unanswered prayers. We do. But I would just encourage you to, to look back and look at this reality. Even if there's some prayers that perhaps God has not answered, or some prayers that are tabled, that doesn't redefine God's love for you. Because although your feelings are important, and God cares about your feelings, our feelings don't cause reality. And the best way that I could paint this picture, for those that you have kids, I have a niece, you know, and uh, they ask you for something, you say no, and they say, you don't love me. But you see how ridiculous that is. No different from a grown person doing it to God. We either do that or, or, or we don't pray at all because we're ashamed of our sin. Man, I'm going to go again. Repent again. The Lord is definitely tired by me right now. I, there's no way that I could approach him. The Bible says to be bold, to be courageous, to approach the throne of grace. Now that bold, that word bold is confident. You have to be confident. Be confident when you go up there. Because God loves you. He's already paid it on the cross. He's already paid it, but, but again, that boldness that, that this widow had, we should kind of replicate that because we actually have somebody who loves us that's on the other end. And so, we look at verse 5, right? Compare that to what Jesus meant by saying he's elect. I'm a give her what she needs so she could be quiet or I have loved you and this is the way in which I have loved you. And so we have this idea of that, you know, our Lord loves us, but more than that, our Father assures us. He loves us, yes, but then He assures us. Verse 8, He says, I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Now, Jesus is referring back to this parable. And you know how the, the widow was going and going and going. And, you know, the Bible says for a while the judge said no. What Jesus was saying is, I'll give you justice speedily. But again, it comes from this intrinsic motivation of that, that, law that God has for us, which is love. But here he takes it one step further and says he assures us this word speedily. I am not saying that when we pray, God is going to answer all those prayers. So let's get that off the table. But what he is saying is that when we come to the Father, he assures us that he is listening. 
And we go back to the judge, what, what did we see the judge do? It's almost like it was kind of a burden for him to kind of deal with this widow. And his biggest motivation was, well, I'm just going to do this so she could be quiet and stop bothering me. That's not what God does. He assures us, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, some of you may say, well, I've been, I've been praying for years and years for this certain thing, and that hasn't happened. Well, time works differently for an impotent, omnipotent being. What does Second Peter say? For the Lord, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. But haven't we ever, instead of just focusing, man, the Lord hasn't really, you know, answered me. How can we haven't ever just thought of persistently praying more? Persistently pray. Persistently pray. It's a relentless prayer. And that prayer should be rooted on this fact that God loves us and he assures us that he is listening. That he is there. That he does care for his people. That he does for, for provide. See, we have a lot of people that pray and do get it. They do get provision. But we, we just have to keep it going. We have to. Again, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, I could only think about the disciples. Imagine them. You know, there's a gap of, what, 2,000 years? Or something like that between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then the, uh, the disciples reading the scriptures that pointed back to Jesus that were written, written way before they were ever alive. Jesus came speedily. I know you might say, dude, that's 2,000, 3,000 years. Yeah, but he came speedily. And speedily really is at the appropriate and right time. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us, that Jesus came at the most opportune time when it was the perfect time of God. That is when Jesus was sent. But I'm here to tell you that this is assuring. The Lord cares about you. The Lord hears you. And just because we don't see things happening right now doesn't mean that there won't be. Our responsibility is to pray and pray persistently. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to use this as some type of legalistic point, but this is, Jesus said it himself, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is Jesus. He's telling us we should do this. Christian, we should do this. And that is our hope that he loves us, but yet he assures us and that he hears us. And the last point here, start wrapping up, is our Lord challenges us. Let's go to verse 8, the second half. Of verse 8, right? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, talking about Jesus, will he find faith on earth? You know how we were talking about setting the scene, how important that is, what Jesus is talking to, who he's talking to? Well, a lot of times people kind of look at this last verse and now it's talking about the second coming. But remember what I told you? That that's what he, the conversation was about originally. He just moved to prayer. So now here Jesus is kind of bringing it, bringing it in all together, pointing you back. And so, basically, we were saying, yeah, I'm going to tell you about my return. Let's pause that for a minute. Let's talk about prayer. Okay, well, you know how I was talking about my second coming? Yeah, this counts for that. It says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so, 
Why faith? Why not prayer? Why doesn't he say prayer? Well, because prayer is a product of faith. If you have faith, you will pray. If you really believe that the Lord loves you, if you really believe that he is a Lord who, who assures us, you will pray. Prayer is inevitable for a Christian. We should be doing it. We should be doing this. And so here, it's almost like a low-key challenge. And Jesus is saying, when I come back, because again, from our previous conversation, I will, will I find faith on earth? Will I find people who are praying, praying persistently, praying for people who, or will I come back to people who have not lost heart? Because here's the thing. One of the things that we talk, like to talk about in, the, in, in, in our district, at least, it's support group. Students and how they're, they're around with their family, you know, the people that support them. That is, and you have a support group too. You might not notice it, but you have people there who have been supporting you along the way. Our support group when it comes to prayer is a trinity. Because what Jesus is saying, look, we saw the judge doesn't care. I care. I love you. I elected you. So you, we have a judge in front of us. We have the Lord that cares about us. Secondly, this widow had no representation. What does God say? I sent my son. Now he represents you as a mediator. The question here is not on God's side. It's on our side. Could we have the boldness that this widow portrays? Could we have this persistence that this widow portrays, considering that we have a God that cares for us and empowers us to pray? Another way to put it is, how much more than should we pray, considering we have a loving and assuring God? That's our motivation. So Christian... This is for you. Everything that God has done from the time of the creation of the world to now, he has done it for you because he loves you. He don't need us. But he does it because he chooses to. And so we have this great mediator in Jesus who advocates, who is our mediator, God the Father who is considering, loving, hears us. That is our hope. That is why we should pray. Now, if you are here today and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you wouldn't consider yourself somebody who has given your life to Jesus, I've got to tell you, you have no representation. You have nobody to plead your case. And you can't go before God because everybody is sinful. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. And so going before a just and holy God is only going to give us justice. And that's bad. So you don't have that representation, but you can. 
And it doesn't cost anything. So as long as you cry out for the Lord Jesus and you repent of your sins, you turn away from your sin because we do. And look at Jesus as the one who stands before God the Father and approach him and let him advocate for you. Let him be the mediator. Let him be your lawyer. Because we cannot approach God on ourselves or by yourself. You are simply like this widow. And at our point, we all were. We were impotent. So if you are one of those people who does not know Jesus, I would really encourage you. And all the love that I have, you need to repent. You need a mediator. And that mediator is Jesus. So church, everything that we've said, everything that we've considered, let us, let us look away from, from, from our childish ways as it pertains to prayer because God loves you. This is our motivation, church. If this doesn't motivate you to pray, I don't know what to say. And we say that often as coaches when it comes to football. If, if, if being out here, being in full pads on the field doesn't motivate you, I don't know what else does. Church, God loves you. He assures you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for choosing us, selecting us. We thank you for sending your son to die on a cross so that we would have access to you. Because apart from him, we are sinful people who do not have this access. But because out of your love, that we often at times, we let theology get in the way of that. But your love is not only theological, but it certainly is applicable to our lives. We pray that we're able to accept this love and accept whenever things don't go our way as it persists to prayer that you would be there with us. Help us understand that you care for us even when we see things not going our way. Help us to understand your reassuring nature when we have no hope. Help us persist in prayer. Help us have the boldness of this widow. Help us have this persistence of a widow to go before you because often we are just so weak from praying. Help us. Help us, Lord. And in the same breath, Lord, we pray for those individuals who are there doing your work in other countries that are praying to you, that you would be over them, provide for them, guide them, Lord. They are doing your work in hostile countries and nations, Lord. And we would even pray here what we think is hostile is not compared to their our Lord, but we all need your help in prayer. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that your grace and the love of God the Father 
and the fellowship with the whole that the Holy Spirit has with us. You pray that it be with us all. Amen.